Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones, and my co-host Bill Bohr and I were grateful to be invited to participate in a roundtable podcast discussion hosted by the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast in the wake of the recent horrific and arresting events in Charlottesville, Virginia this past weekend. One of the participants, Dr. Jeffrey Pugh, was actually on the ground as part of the clergy protest. Our thoughts and prayers are with the folks at Charlottesville and the entire country, as we know yours are as well. Thanks for listening. Voice of words, Doug Paget from the Doug Paget radio show, Todd Littleton from Pathological. Uh, my name is Jason Michelli. I'm here with my partners, Tier Hardy and Morgan Guyton, uh, and our friend of the podcast, Jeffrey Pugh, uh, who is a resident of Charlottesville uh, and was present yesterday um, during the alt-right rally and counter-protest. Uh, and we have invited Jeffrey to come and uh, give us his perspective and guide us through a conversation uh, about what we're experienced um so i am going to welcome scott jones also here and <laughs> jeffrey um just take it take it from where we're at okay so um as uh, most of the listeners know the unite the right rally um evidently charlottesville has become ground zero uh in the fight for america's soul um given the fact that we had a nazi bro tiki torch rally a number of months ago, followed by a Klan rally on uh, July. And then yesterday, um, the big one, uh, what some people have called the biggest collection of um, alt-right or I prefer neo-Nazi uh, groups uh, in America. Um, so Charlottesville, for some reason, uh, I don't know if somebody flunked Richard Spencer in college and he's still bitter about it um, or what the situation is. Um, but... Uh, yesterday was the big rally. For a number of weeks, um, people have been in training in different communities in the Charlottesville area, but we heard that there would be a number of outside folks coming in. And um, so on uh, the most immediate events were um, Friday night, there was a worship service. Um, I left the worship service early, uh, but I understand that that was surrounded by um, tiki torch bears. And then on Saturday morning, we gathered at six o'clock in um, the uh, First Baptist Church, African-American Church. Uh, Cornell West and Tracy Blackman spoke. Um, and then uh, the majority of people went on a uh, march from Jefferson School to um, McGuffey Park. And then a number of clergy peeled off from that and went to do support at First United Methodist, which is right across the street from Emancipation Park, which is the center. Um, a number of us uh, at that point um, went to the park um, because we felt like our call was to bear witness. Um, there was some talk about actions that we might do once we got there, but uh, we went there mostly to bear witness. Um, so we were there uh, until right before the um, state of emergency was called. Things started going south before the 12 o'clock um, start of the um of the rally and i'm not sure but that that wasn't the strategy uh by the virginia government um to let that uh uh permit go ahead but once the violence started uh virginia came in declared a state of emergency and shut it down the fact that we got out of that yesterday uh, i was expecting far more 
casualties, as horrific as that was. And there will be a vigil tonight at six o'clock um, for the for Heather, the woman who was killed by the car. Mm-hmm. So that's in uh, in sort of basic outline. Um, we were there as things got kinetic. Um, and uh, if you were an outsider looking at this, you would say that, uh, as our president said, there was violence on both sides, many sides. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that the violence was initiated by the neo-Nazi groups who um, actually chose to come here and try to dominate and make no, no, no mistake about it. This was not free speech. This was a dominant action. Um, they have been walking the streets on Friday. They attacked UVA students on Friday night. Um, they are still uh, uh, in Charlottesville today. Jason Kessler and Richard Spencer are holding a news conference or hold a news conference. Um, so this was an action intended to dominate and to say to Charlottesville, we own this town. And what I saw yesterday was was um, was not free speech. It was the dominance action. I'm going to stop it there. Uh, you know, we can uh, talk yeah. amongst ourselves. I do want to say that Morgan had some really good things to say uh, this morning in his um, Patheos uh, uh, blog site about right. what what the future of the church looks like. Um, Morgan, I'll let you uh, go first. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I was trying to think about what I would preach if I had to preach today. And so I wanted to take a hopeful angle. Um, And I don't know. I just really feel this sense that maybe we're getting to a point where the definitive voice in American Christianity is going to be those who are unequivocal in their stance against fascism, as opposed to those who are proclaiming quote unquote family values. And I don't know if I'm just trying to speak something into existence. I don't have any like legitimate basis for saying that that shift is going to occur, but it's something that I want to see happen. And so I just wrote a blog and I said, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> and um, so I don't know. I mean, I just think that I just I just think that clarity is being sharpened right now um, in terms of and in what um, and, and what what really motivates them. What um, and I the main thing that I said in my blog is that when Jesus says to take up your cross and follow me, you know, he wasn't um, he wasn't asking us to commit to a, a daily quiet time and to stop saying the F-bomb. He was talking about engaging in public action that would risk our physical lives. Because in the very next verse, he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so this is this is like, and so we're in a, we're in a time when we're being invited to take up our crosses and follow Jesus, you know, and um, and to to actually take a stand and um, and be willing to um, to to be at risk um, for the sake of those who are in in, in harm's way. I'm I'm going to just jump in real quick and follow since n- nobody else went in there. Um. I guess it's in letters and papers from prison and Bonhoeffer is talking, to, he's doing stock taking um, in one of his <laughs> letters about a book that he hopes to write when he gets out of prison. And what he says is that, that, that we are living in the time in which we are going to have to figure out what it is we really believe. 
And he's really believed to the point where we're willing to stake our lives on it. Right. And um, I think that, I think that that's what was happening. That's what I saw happening yesterday. I, I, I I was scared shitless. Hmm. Um, And then I'm standing in front of people with guns. Uh, This is the Nazi militia who were better weaponized than the state police were. Wow. And, um, but they were also, I want to say they were also incredibly disciplined because if those guys went, went South, that whole thing could have just gone horribly wrong. Um, That said there, they were standing in front of their people. I think who would have come after us if they could have. Um, But I think that the militia was there to keep their people from getting out of hand. And, um, but there was, there were a couple of moments in which I thought yesterday, well, maybe, maybe this is the day. I don't know. I mean, I got pushed around a little bit. I got told somebody was going to punch me in the face. We got called heretic, which I actually consider the high point of my day. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're called a heretic by the Nazis and I'm thinking I'm a lot more <laughs> things are going orthodox well. than I thought. I think you're doing something right then. Uh, <clears throat> I, I might put that on my letterhead actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have to say that over and over again, Bonhoeffer sort of kept coming back to me. What is it that you're, you believe enough that you're willing to put it on the line for? Yeah. I, yeah I, I was like, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Bill. I was to say first of all, but you know, I was watching yesterday morning, and I, and to me, I was moved with you know, with the news showed initially, you know, the prayer vigil and people kneeling on the on the side of the road, and I thought to me that was very, um, it was a powerful word uh, that demonstrating the kind of Christian witness that we would hope would be there. So I, you know, I, I appreciate all of you who are there doing that, and also the you know taking the brave stand. You know, one of my concerns is, uh, and obviously I talked about this at church this morning. I'm sure there'll be more conversations about it. I'm actually writing a chapter right now for a book. And my chapter is the history of Christian anti-Semitism. So, uh, you know, I can uh, update it till yesterday. So that's where I can end uh, the, uh, the modern version of it, because that, you know, those anti-Semitic posters were part of the promotion of the event. But I guess one of the things I struggle with is Jeff Sessions, and uh, Ted Cruz came out strongly against yesterday. I mean, in some levels, what do you do? What is the danger? Uh, I'd be interested to hear everyone. What is the danger of the fact that the vast majority of people in this country have condemned that? Yet some of the very assaults on civil liberties and programs that continue to hurt minorities, people of color, immigration, people who are really more dangerous than these Nazis in some levels because they're in in the Senate and they're the attorney general. Isn't What is the danger of, of, of being distracted a little bit by the extreme while um, there are these people not only charge of, you know, White House things, but have the ear of the president. Yeah. yeah uh, this is Doug Padgett. Yeah, uh, Bill, I appreciate that. But, well, and, and Jeff Morgan, I, I really, I, I agree and appreciate so much uh, the fact that religious people were there and that religious yeah. professionals were there and that religious professionals were choosing to use their profession as um, a marker for what's going on. And I, I sort of get that. And I get that in the, why that carries power in the places where there's still a myth of, the significance of the Christian narrative uh, going on, but there's a little piece of me that that worries um, 
that one of the, th- and I'm not suggesting that you two were, were saying this, but I hear this a lot in the ecosystems that a lot of us are in, that something as blatant as the KKK and the rise of Nazis and white supremacists killing a woman, terrorizing people, uh, abusing um, uh, the, the spirit of humanity, somehow at, that in that process, we ask the question, hey, I wonder how this is good for Christianity. Oh, like, I just yeah, want to be right. super careful about that. You know what I mean? And I know, I know that's not right. what we're saying, right? I know that's not the, yeah. thing, the only thing. I just think we really have to be like, that's, the, that's the end of GPS, I think. That's the end of the line. Like, like that feels like that's way down the line when white male religious leaders like all of us um, the tendency, because I've been trained so much to do this, and and some of it because I've been af- affected and influenced by the Bonhoeffian Bonhoeffian views of you know all of this too, is to take moments you know and to ask what does it mean for my faith. Um, I, I just really I, there's something in me that that bristles, and I felt that tension this morning, right? Because uh, we had church uh, church meeting, right? To do my professional pastor, you know, white male professional pastor role that I uh, that that I play there. Um, so I. Uh, I, I just worry that some of our reflexive movements, and um, again, I was super proud of a lot of friends and, and people that I look up to and heroes of mine were there and were taking the role of professional Christian. But man, it just feels like uh, we should be super careful because the Christian narrative has been utilized in this um, in this scourge in such powerful ways. I, I just almost wanted to see, like, I don't know. I'm not a nudist or anything, but like everyone just out there, all the pastors that just out there as stripped naked as you can be, you know, the way Morgan looks in his, in his car right now. <laughs> I really, I really didn't want to see that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, Even my Doug's a, comp- Doug's a competitive runner. So he could pull that off. <laughs> now, now y'all, I am going to have to change out of my swimsuit in just a minute. Cause I got to go to this conference. So oh, if you do want to see that, then. <laughs> The dream. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like you have to drop the collars and you can't wear the stoles and you've got to stand there as a human being and that you fight right. okay. the, way, yeah. the way Jesus had to fight, not, a, you know, as a rejected rabbi and like, not with all the pomp and not with all the mm-hmm. acumen and, and not with all that force of the righteousness of your religion behind you, but to stand face to face with people and say, this scourge, this thing, this is a failure of 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 this uh imagination of what it means to be humans and to be spiritual and to be alive in the world and so on so i i'm not trying to pick a uh i'm not, I'm not saying anyone didn't do that there's just this side of me that that really wanted and and i was watching all of you and i was really proud i, I was watching the news in the middle of the day like middle-aged men do on saturdays um so I was watching on MSNBC and saw, you know, when Tracy was pulled away from the cameras because people were going to hit her with brass knuckles because she was a woman, because she's black, because she's a pastor. Like, I get it. All that came together in real power. I'm glad she did it. And, uh, I'm, you know, she's a hero of mine. Um, there's just part that's like, um, I just think we, especially those who've done well in the religion industry enough to have it be our, our worlds should not uh, just be really cautious about any conversation about what does it mean for us? Yeah. So listening to that and what Morgan said, Jeffrey, um, you know, the difference for Christians, I think is that Jesus was the one responsible for the prophetic street theater that he was doing. Um, But, you know, to what extent, since you were, I was there on Friday night, but had to come back and it makes Part of me wonders, did did the counter protesters give Richard Spencer exactly what he hoped for? 
Um, so yeah, mm. and not that Richard Spencer is doing Jesusy things. But was he in charge uh, of this whole spectacle? And and was were Christians and protesters on the left duped by him? Okay, um, well, these are all great. Um, I often have these same suspicions, and I just want to go ahead and confess my sin that when I saw the Antifa people um, running up to the um, chanting, when the Nazis came down the street chanting, and the Antifa people started chanting, not on our street, not on our street, and those two groups came together and started going at it, there was a huge part of me that wished that I were in the Antifa group wearing a helmet and had a club and was absolutely nonviolent. I mean, absolutely violent. I, I have to get in touch with that visceral part of myself that, that admired that admired it. Um, so I want to say that there's a part of me that totally understands and gets this point. I'm, I'm going to make a counterpoint. Mm-hmm. My argument um, has been for a number of years since I've been studying Bart Bonhoeffer, that uh, part of the reason that Hitler gained power is that nobody showed up. Mm. People in Germany didn't come out of their houses. Um, I agree exactly with Doug. It takes more than clergy to come out, but people are going to need encouragement from somewhere. And who are the community leaders? All of our institutions have broken down now. You can't, you know, the, the institutions that people would look at before for guidance are, I'm not sure how worthwhile they are. So where is there a moral voice in America now that can rally other human beings? And this is what worries me. What I saw in that park yesterday was a kind of, and for those, Doug's read Devil's Inc., probably nobody else has, but I read it. There's a a spirit that manifests itself that, that metastasizes and grows. I guess it's Goethe that says that the spirits that I've summoned, I cannot, I cannot um, uh, banish, uh, I, you know, I cannot get rid of. And so I see this spirit growing in our country and I'm thinking, so where is going to, and they're organizing, that spirit grows because they're organized. So where are we going to organize? But this was another reason that the anti-fascist at least, there was a part of them that was like, they're more organized than the church is. Mm -hmm. They were more ready for this than the church was. Um, But the church has to be a voice representing, not representing, manifesting the reign of God in the midst of this. I I don't use the word demonic lightly, but what I saw out there in Emancipation Park yesterday, the the chance, the anger, the, the, the fear, was demonic. And so I keep wondering, yeah, I I understand, Doug. I wish we could all wear black shirts and I, I dressed up in full clergy drag. Um because I, I thought right. it was I thought it was important as a symbol. I would have much rather been there in shorts and a t shirt, <laughs> maybe a helmet. Um but but who is going to step up now that this is metastasizing in our culture and our society? Well, if I could just add, Jeff, the thing I thought you guys did so well in the garb and all the pictures I saw was that you all became like the choir 
behind the other movements that were pushing back against this, right? Yeah. That, yeah. I thought that was really great. Like it's one, uh, like sometimes the, I, I know what your phrase was to, to manifest the, um, the reign of God, the reign of God. Um, uh, sometimes I think religious people, uh, especially church religious people um, should like fight our way to the background to encourage the back end going forward and not the front, not the, because fr- there's so many people doing such great things. So I thought that was really wonderful. Um, I, I do think that um, what you manifest yesterday uh, was, was the way. And what I worry about is that the, the question that a lot of church people asked on Sunday morning was, what does this mean for us? Mm-hmm. And, that's a li- that feels a little early where the question that I think you guys raised so well yesterday is in light of who we are, what do we mean to this larger pushback movement? Mm-hmm. Like that's a different way to ask that same question. Yeah. You're still engaging it all. So yeah, to, to echo what Doug said, uh, there's yeah. a slideshow from yesterday on the Washington post website yeah, and it's yeah, incredibly powerful and, and yeah, disturbing because so many of the pictures you see this look of, visceral anger and hatred on faces on both sides. Uh, but then you have this string of clergy between them um, with nothing but either a dispassionate face or compassion. Um, and it was a very powerful contrary witness, I, I think. Um, but I'm going to let, I know Todd and Todd want to jump in here, so I'm going to let them jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I appreciate what Doug said. I, we, we come at it from a, a little bit different angle and that is, my particular denominational context, um, the leaders who would speak to this particular moment or that we would expect to, their silence has been extorted. Um, how do I say it? The convention has been extorted by a few leaders who were so pro-Trump that our ethics voice has not offered any sort of um, way forward. And where many of you hail from uh, context where, you know, Doug was arrested. Um, you know, I, I know Morgan and, and has been, you know, really, uh, vocal. Um, you don't see many Southern Baptists, um, hopping a plane or heading down the street that, that I'm aware. Uh, apologies to those who may have showed up in Charlottesville, but when I go to look at the leaders in our particular, uh, wing of the Christian tree or branch of the Christian tree, rather, um, it's silent. So if there are no pastors, no professional clergy stepping up to say this is the way forward, it's a little bit different context than when that's kind of the expected. Uh, it, it's 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 already sort of in the fabric of your your um, self-expression as uh, uh, faithful to the, uh, Jesus, faithful to the good news. So I'm I'm appreciative to know some folks who went. I texted Jason when I I saw what was going on, asking. If you knew any, anybody was there and they were hurt, and then he said uh, Jeffrey was there, and and so I've I've had an intense interest because um, while I can have a conversation in my, in my local church that's never going to really have any sort of um, immediate intersection with people of color uh, in any way, I I I have that internal um, uh, moment where I feel the same visceral reaction Jeffrey was describing that I would like to be. A, have a moment of violence in defending um, a righteous cause. So um, I, I appreciate Doug's pushback. I think it's very important. But for those of us in a different from a different context, you know, we're looking for people to say, "Here's what you do out front," and where the leadership can be easily identifiable as 
this is these are clergy and this is what you do so this is what we all ought to do so that would be only my only counter uh, not an objection just to say it's a different lens um to witness these things yeah i i, th- I think that i mean that's a really good word i i do find myself my sentiments kind of resonating with what you said doug I, I think that a lot of stuff that i saw on social media and it's just so hard because you know we all have a zillion Facebook friends and things like that. But, you know, some of it seems like virtue signaling sometimes. And for the same fear of like, Doug, what you're saying, like, what does this mean for us in the Christian story? And I think that does, there's something in me is reticent. It, it makes me a little nervous. And yeah, I, I like you. I mean, I'm thankful. I think the witness there was tremendous. So there's, it's sort of wheat and tear stuff, right? <laughs> but also somebody posted something. I saw on uh, Facebook, they said, like, saying the gospel frees us from racism, uh, it does as little as saying the Bible condemns X, Y, Z. <laughs> and they both might be really true on some level, but uh, but like sort of stating the truth sometimes, uh, it, it doesn't have, <laughs> isn't all altogether that effectual. So I do think, like, there's something right that sounds like this is the long haul. And, and the degree that we're in solidarity with a larger movement. <laughs> I think something sounds um, right about that. Yeah. Morgan. Yeah, so, or Jeff cool. and Morgan. No, no, let Morgan go. So I'm going to jump in and you'll notice that I'm now in my Hawaiian shirt. Um, I changed. Um, I turned the video off. Um, so you can thank me for that. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, and I really, I really appreciate Doug's point. And I think, uh, I think it's very important. Um, not to get into um, like performative allyship, which is a kind of fancy term for you know, virtue signaling, like being like I'm the I'm the woke white guy. Look at me, um, you know, response to things like this. Um, I do think that I guess what 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 I'm always trying to do is to find a clearer, more compelling articulation of the gospel. In, in any circumstance, you know, in trying to figure out like what is what is kind of the hopeful th- that um, like what what can God do to transform what's happening? You know, because like a lot of times I find myself just, you know, wringing my hands about, well, Trump just did this and, you know, the Nazis just did this and like and like staying in a really, um, you know, and I, and, I, and I do think that lament is important and valid. And particularly when it's, um, you know, people who are actually marginalized or actually at, you know, at, in, in danger because of things that are happening. Um, I also feel like, you know, as, as a pastor and particularly on a college campus, like I'm trying to figure out how can I, what can I say about um, what Jesus is calling us to do in our context? And I think, you know, college campus is very different than, um, you know, a, a rural or suburban um you know, Southern Baptist Church or, or, you know, and I think that each of us has a different context and there, and there are actions that, that are appropriate to our context that, um, it's important not to get into a thing where, um, you know, like I, I was, I was a little bit annoyed when, when people were saying this stuff about like, if your pastor doesn't talk about Charlottesville, you need to, you know, like take a shit on the floor and then walk out, you know? Um, and, um, and so that was one I, of the more measured things I saw. You know, and, and, and the thing is that honest <laughs> to God, what I think should be happening is we should be talking about white supremacy 
all 52, you know, all the time and not, and not have it just be this reactive, like, um, and, um, yeah. And so anyway, I'm going to say peace out because I got to go to this conference. I'm late. Love y'all. Love you too. Uh, Jeffrey, then Bill. Kisses. Well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that I have discovered that there is such a thing as PTSD. Um, I, I've been a little weepy and emotional all day mm-hmm. long because um, stuff just, it's hard until you're in that environment to understand mm-hmm. the impact of it on you physically. Mm-hmm. So uh, please take what I say uh, from a, a that. So I guess a lot of things I think was thinking about yesterday is, you know, that whole Martin Niemöller quote that everybody likes to pull out, you know, they first they came for the socialists, you know, and well, first they came, not this time, motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the way I felt. Um, yep. Now, uh, in my better moment, um, I was grieving the fact that I had separated brethren in front of me hmm. who had been captured by the spirit of fear and hate. Hmm. And they lived in a prison that they did not even know. They live in prisons they do not even know they exist within. And there was deep grief of knowing that there was nothing that I could do that was going to be able to break those chains. Hmm. Um, Now, that's where it comes down to what are our relationships? What are the relationships we're willing to build um, with people whose views we despise. And, and Jason, you and I have talked about this, that sort of Will Campbell moment. Mm. I, I don't, I'm wrestling and struggling with that now um, in the aftermath of this. Um, who is it that needs ministry? And uh, mm. one of the things this has done is that it has brought people in Charlottesville of good heart and good faith together, mm. Mm. Um, having conversations, um, being uh organizing and um, congregate Charlottesville clergy collective. There are certain things that are happening in this city that weren't happening before. Mm. And um, I think that's a redemptive moment for this. But when, if the Nazis come back here, um, I wish we would actually be stronger in number than we were yesterday. Jeffrey, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the backstory on how this, um, monument or uh was going to be taken down were, were you part of that do you know the all the ins and outs that made that come to the no um uh, we moved to charlottesville two years ago from chapel hill because my wife uh was appointed to a united methodist church here across from uva and um when we came there was some discussion about it i can't remember in the time frame when it was but the city council voted uh-huh. Um, to remove the statue of Lee and also of, I think, Jackson. Yeah, the, the city council was discussing that as far back as when I was an undergrad there. It's been going on for a long time. Um, that's in court now. I, I'm not sure whether Jason Kessler or whoever took it in court, but um, somebody took it to court. But I think the uh, the thing was that those the horse statues were going to be removed and the park was going to be renamed. I don't think that, you know, there was some um, ambiguity about whether the statues would be moved to a museum or someplace where a uh, interpretive um, thing could be done. I'm not really and I don't know a part of that. Mm -hmm. What I do know is that for a number of reasons that then functioned as the symbol um, 
for the alt-right. You know, one of the groups came in yesterday saying, chanting, I can't remember the exact words, you will not erase us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kept thinking how tragic that they would think that the inclusion of other human beings is an erasure of their identity. Well, I think you made a really interesting point there about thinking about, you know, those Nazis across from you or those young, you know, it's easy. I mean, they, uh, these young guys with all their anger and fear and such and seeing them as lost souls. I mean, I just read a sketch of the uh, young man charged in the driving yeah. uh, incident, uh, the vehicular homicide. And just from the sketches they gave him, he sounds like a person who had a lot. He was an outsider his whole life, grew up without a father. And so there's for most of these people, the hate and the fear, they don't come from a vacuum. And I, I think to me, what you did in Charlottesville was pastoral. In other words, if the Nazis come to your town, you do something about it. Uh, and I, well, depending on if your town is whatever's going on in your community as a pastor, it's not showboating. It's saying, this is my community, whether it's tragedies, whether it's the drug crisis, whether it is uh, whatever's going on. I think that's part of the um, being someone who loves your community in the name of Christ. And also, I think the thing about it is that... <coughs> when we begin to dehumanize the other side, there's a danger that we become like them. And I I do think these extreme groups are just merely the canaries in the cage of the deeper malaise that's in our country. I mean, again, uh, the people in South Korea are not praying about Charlottesville this Sunday. That's right. Mm -hmm. And and, um, uh, the, you know, thousands of more kids who are going to be contaminated by dirty water and air why all this is going on, these things are happening at the EPA. I mean, I think part of this gives us an opportunity to say, okay, here is a rupture. Okay, here's a here's a, a, a fissure in the psyche and social, the un, you know, un, uh, disentangling social structure of our society. You know, as Christians, whether you were in Germany in 1935, whether you were in outside of Jerusalem in 700 AD, you know, whether you were in Paris during the plague, you are confronted with uh, your own foibles, your own weaknesses, your own fears, but also the task at hand of what it means to love all people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think that's maybe the biggest challenge right now. Uh, how do we love our enemies or, and those who would make themselves enemies of the things we hold dear? How do, what, what kind of positive, not positive, but what kind of redemptive in ministry do we, do we owe them or what is the way to engage it. Like I said, some, all of you agree with all of you. It's easy to feed the fire of indignation of some, I mean, going after Nazis is pretty easy. I, I don't mean that. I mean, in terms of saying Nazis are bad. And, I, and I, again, I'm not meant what you all did on the ground yesterday was courageous and exactly what should be done. But uh, the worst problems we have in our country in our country's souls is not the alt-right. It's the, people, it's the people just beside the alt-right you know, and who are, who are, are in our churches on Sunday morning, and uh, and perhaps also the people on the alt left who uh, have failed to see uh, the need of their neighbor as well. Yeah, and somebody posted, it might have been David from about the perpetrators. An example of these young but white guys who are isolated. It's a hillbilly elegy kind of thing, and and I think on some level there there's a lot of things that a lot of institutions probably do a lot better than the church, but like, like Bill, you're an old young life guy, like, like confining kids and, and relating to them, uh, especially the kids who are kind of furthest out uh, and have the least kind of social connection that like, 
I mean, Barack Obama tweeted out, right, uh, yesterday, I think, like, people aren't born to do this. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah, I mean, racists like that are not born, they're made systemically and also through just not having social capital. And I wonder, like, what role the church plays in um, stemming the growth of, of all, uh, horrendous democratic movements like that. What scares me the most in that is that the places where um, the church could do the most good for people like that who feel like they're lost and become assimilated into these groups, um, those are the places where that mentality is more prevalent in the church than in cities where you have a little bit more diverse thought. Just within the state of Virginia, you have the, the difference between Southern Virginia and Northern Virginia, which is three hours. And you it's like two completely different worlds. We're two hours from Charlottesville here, just outside DC. And, and, and it's a whole another world. The suburbs here are different from the suburbs in Charlottesville. And I, what scares me is that if the church is going to be expected or called or manifest, however you want to say it, to fill this void in people's lives in these communities, I don't know if the churches that are there are equipped to do that. Well, you know, we need Christians being Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've said this, I was uh, born in West Virginia, and the kind of evangelicalism that I was reared in, uh, they wouldn't recognize what's going on now. I mean, these were not educated, sophisticated people, but they loved Christ and they read their Bible. So, you know, back in the day, I could hear now, you know, if someone said something racist, they would say, you know, Bob, that's not right. That's not what Jesus would have us do. I mean, on some levels, we have to we have to have actually have Bible Christians actually read and live their Bible. And and for those people who are in those islands, okay, who are the courageous voices in whatever communion or whatever independent group and whatever community, I mean, those of us who are maybe positions where it's a little more convenient for us to take stands. And maybe that's as it's as important to give those folks support and relational um uh courage, uh, because I think that's the front line. I mean, I, I still believe I still believe the gospel changes people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I've seen racists and uh, of all colors <laughs> come you know, become people working for reconciliation, not because they had a philosophical change or they took a class at a graduate school, is because God and Christ helped take away the hate in their heart. So uh, I think that that's still the only thing we have, really. I mean, we have other things, but that's the most important thing. I mean, lectionary, <laughs> lectionary reading today, you know, how can they hear if we do not preach? Um, in some levels, that's the foolishness that we're left with, the foolishness that God's called us to in some ways. Todd, you are a pastor in a state that is somewhat to the right of Iran. Um, <laughs> as, a, as a pastor, do you, do you want to speak to what Bill's talking about? Yeah, I think maybe um, I, I kind of hear the tension between what Bill's describing and, and what, what uh, Tyr was uh, just, uh, entailing. And, and, and I think maybe um, we need to be more intentional um, to produce or create conversations where, you know, like I, I think it might be good if I were to get, say, a group of our youth who um, will venture out into environments where uh, these are, are going to be way more normal than when I was their age uh, decades ago. To have someone uh, like uh, Jeffrey on have a conversation with uh, someone who can at the same time talk about the very deep-seated uh, emotive response from seeing uh, those march into my town uh, denigrating with 
uh, others with hatred in the heart, and then to turn around and at the same time then reflect upon it and say, but you know what? I wondered about those people, you know, those those like those whom I could see the hate in, those who I could see their anger, those who I knew deep beyond all of that. Um, uh, those rea- their reactions uh, represent someone who's been wounded on their own, who's suffered some who knows what, and 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 probably try to build out that tension. I, I don't know that I feel real comfortable uh, attempting to say as a pastor, here are, here are the answers for you as you chart your way. But I think if they understood that there are, there are these sorts of tensions that they'll have to grapple with their confidence in and faithfulness to Jesus in, uh, when they face someone in a college class who sits somewhere located differently than they, and yet seem to espouse these sorts of ideas and notions. And, and I think to equip them would be to say, let's, let's be aware of these tensions. And then what are the proper, what are the, what are the proper means to engage that person? Uh, we could engage them at the level of their hate, or could we peer deeper and begin just talking about their human experience and what sort of suffering, what sort of absence, what sort of what Bill was then getting at, what are the things that are there where then we can help young people. And I think we should obviously adults, but uh, capture a greater sense of empathy for other human beings. than you know, what tends to happen as, as we're kind of amped up in these moments. Speaking of, of equipping Jeffrey, uh, you know, I was only there for like a fraction of the time that you were, but I, I saw some of the militia guys with their guns and, and whatnot and the torches. And, and it occurred to me, I remember reading a, a comment that Reinhold Niebuhr made to Martin Luther King um, about either, you know, King had to make nonviolence work or violence was inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering, like, how, uh, because it's been so long since the civil rights movement and it's not our primary, you know, occupation right now. Like, have we lost what like, just how to disciple people in nonviolent witness? Um, and, and do we make a mistake in just thinking it's, you know, organic to being a Christian? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot this morning about spiritual disciplines, bearing, uh, bearing wrongs patiently. I mean, you know, there's a set, right, of um, there's a corporal disciplines that we do with the body, feeding hungry, clothing to poor. And then there's this other set of, of disciplines, forgiving all injury, bearing wrongs patiently. Um, I don't want to go through the whole list, but, you know, you can Google it. Um and I, I was thinking a lot about this morning, struggling with my own feelings about wanting to grab a rod and start hitting a Nazi about my own spiritual discipline. You know, what uh, what informs me? What about the spirit of Christ is present in my life in this moment? And um, and so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, the church is not doing a very good job of creating a disciplined community. Um, we're, we're doing a very good job of enculturating and making our, our, uh, people feel comfortable in America. And I think Doug alluded to this earlier, that this comfort is a, is a deception to the realities that we have going on all around us. But what is it that we're doing as pastors, as faith leaders, as, um, members of these various communities where we're saying, you know, Christianity is a daily practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a daily practice of 
inculcating um, certain disciplines of the heart and soul that we might be those people that can um, stand in these moments of trial. Wow. Go ahead and stop there. That's great. Jeffrey, I think that's just, I mean, that, that and maybe it's kind of an age thing too, right? Where you reach a certain age where you start to think like, man, all that stuff in the twenties, people were telling me I needed to develop in order to be a state person that I, you know, I used like just grit to overcome for three decades. You really do start to think like, no, I, I really have to get built some muscles from the inside out, you know, sort of uh, what in workout world they call the core You know, everything kind of comes yeah. back to core muscles and th- th- those disciplines. And I wonder if that that's not, the ideal place and this kind of conflict is the ideal place for us to rethink um, interreligious and interfaith conversations. Like I was really motivated following Michael Lance, who's a rabbi in uh, right down the street from where Salma's porch is and watching what he was saying yesterday and being led by, because watching a rabbi have to do his rabbinic expression um, on a Saturday and having to reflect on Nazi language and propaganda in 2017 um, the, he, uh, he's drawing on a, I think from a similar, similar place in the same source, but he's arranging that a little differently. And then all my, you know, hang around a bunch of mindfulness types, you know, and there's a kind of like work that the mindfulness people do people that are in, um, you know, maybe Buddhist or not, but they're kind of into my, like, I think th- the discipline, spiritual disciplines and practices and this conflict and nonviolent response can be a really interesting place for us to engage in in interfaith. We're, we're often like we do interfaith on like what positive thing do we want to do, which is a great thing. And like there's lots of ways we do interfaith and um, like talking directly about what it means to be Christian versus Jew and a Muslim and a Buddhist and a, and a, a theist and a non-theist. And, but boy, something like this puts everybody in that spot. And that's what I sort of saw in those pictures. You know, I, at least my judgment of people is like, okay, now that person looks like, you know, it kind of comes from this crowd and maybe this person comes from this side. And it was like this great multi-faith expression against evil yesterday. Yeah. One of the people I was standing beside um, was of no faith tradition, but they said that was the only place that they knew in Charlottesville that they could express their nonviolent resistance to what was going on in front of them. Was standing with you guys. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were Muslim Christians, Jews on that line, but there were also one, there were two Buddhists. Yeah. Um, There's a Unitarian. I I mean, we all know that they don't believe in God and um, (laughs) so glad you're all laughing. And, um, but there were a couple of uh, self-professed non-believers, pagans that were there because they said, you're the only people expressing a kind of non-violent, organized resistance. Right. And here's the thing. They were welcome. Now, we how come happy, happy how come you didn't get to stand next to Cornell West in the picture I saw featured? I, I just, you know, because he, he'll be the first to go. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I was not, Simon Eustace at Picatur. <laughs> so, yes, that that in fact was the first phrase of Luther that I learned. Um, no, in all you serious, live it well, my friend. You in all it. seriousness, yeah. <laughs> Nothing like Luther. It's a goal of my life to be simultaneously justified and sinner. Um, I, the leaders of this, um, I, they let them. They're the ones that uh, called Cornell and asked them to come. They're the ones that called Tracy Blackman. Um, you know, I'm always ambivalent, of, and I, those are wonderful people. Don't, and I'm 
Cornell put his body on the line yesterday, and so did Tracy. Yeah, they did. But, but you know, once again, the leaders that Doug was talking about, what would have been like it had just been the clergy, you know? I think it would have been as powerful a message. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so... Uh, and you guys, well, you guys are there for the day after and the week after. I mean, well, you're there. For- we, we have a lot of work to do. We, yeah, there's, absolutely. absolutely. There's a lot of work to do, and... And uh, there's a lot of suffering. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but it yesterday was an assault on our community. Our community was clubbed. I have a close friend of mine that, that's um, actually in one of the other groups. Um, and she said she was standing on the downtown mall. That car in the video goes right by her. Huh. I mean, like there's nothing between her and the car. Wow. So if she had been a step out of line, she'd probably be dead today. Hmm. Um, so that's, that kind of thing is traumatic. I was doing legal service from three to seven last night. And, um, we were at the uh, jail monitoring prisoners or people who were arrested to make sure that nobody got lost, um, you know, in, in prison. Um, and I have to say that the SWAT teams, the, the guard, the troopers, I mean, this place was an, is still today a little bit an armed camp. Um, and you don't see how many of these things are continually circling the streets, the continual sirens that are still going off. Jan said in her office this morning, it was like a continual siren brigade, which really made her concerned about what was going on elsewhere in town. So um, I just want to go back to the, the Cornell West. I know Jason was kind of kidding. I, the leaders and the people who brought him, they're the ones that, you know, if they want to be with Cornell, that's great. Um, I did take a selfie, I confess. Uh, but um, in, I'm sure he that's did. why the young people love you, Jeff. The, the kids, you know, you're popular with the young people. Uh, the cool kids with a Z. Um, I will say this: I did, I did uh, chastise uh, Brother West a number of years ago at American Academy Religion meeting for being in the second Matrix movie. Yeah. <laughs> I said, if you're going to be in a Matrix movie, it should have been the first one. Right. I'm just saying. Just needed to say no. Just Jeffrey, say equal. Jeffrey, uh, just speak for, you know, uh, your perspective, because there's controversy I know now, in, in, at least in the Washington Post, of, about the police response. Um, and just as, as someone who was there uh, during the event, like, what was your sense of uh, just how the police responded and when? Yeah, that's a curious thing. I don't really quite understand what was going on. Hmm. Um, if this had been Ferguson, the police presence... Uh, around the center of action would have been massive and they were not there. Um, So we were standing on top of the steps of Emancipation Park, our little raggedy ass clergy group. Um, And one of the actions we were going to do is try to deny entrance into the park uh, for one of the groups that was coming down the street. And uh, as they were coming down the street, I thought, well, great. You know, this looks like the largest contingent of the day and they have clubs and shields. So this is terrific. Um, It's a magical moment. And so I was we were there ready to get our beaten or our arrest. And the police were standing over to the side behind iron barricades. They were they were not going to move into that space. And this is where my moment of, well, at least they're out there. The Antifa rushed into the intersection and stopped them. I think there would have been a huge clergy beating if that hadn't happened. Wow. Um, 
But the police just stood there while they were gangbanging, you know. Wow. So pepper spray was rolling and the tear gas was rolling. The shields were rolling. That stuff you saw on MSNBC and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's right down there. And and by that point, our leadership was telling us to get off, get off, get out of the way. Hmm. Um, there was nobody. And, and if I had been a brave person and I'm not, I guess I would have done the Desmond Tutu thing and walked in the middle of the crowd to hold up my hands. But um, Desmond Tutu had a lot of spiritual and moral capital to do that in South Africa that some goofy guy and clergy drag doesn't have. Um, so we were we were actually pulled uh, away, but the police did not do a thing. Now, this is why I think that there was a strategy that there was not going to be a show of force until um, some of these things happen, and then they could call a state of emergency mm. because of the violence and shut the whole thing down. So I don't know if that's the case. I'm, I'm just speculating that um, that was the plan all along to let a couple of these skirmishes break out, and then they could shut the whole thing down and it wouldn't escalate throughout the day. The rally was scheduled to go from 12 to 5. Mm. And it was done before 12 o'clock, before it got started. Mm. So, Scott. Yes, sir. Were you just seeing? Was this like the part in the class where you say if I was paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doug, Pew's just running his mouth. Exactly. Hey, Doug, you posted something this morning that I think on a Facebook Live video where you were saying something about the alt right and, and Trump voters, and that this is, and I think this is a huge cost on many fronts. We're just saying what I'm like of, of this kind of politics of the normalization of something. Yeah. It just wasn't, it existed, but it was fringe and down in this, this fear of normalization. And I wonder, like, how do you, I mean, this is a challenge, right? Like, because like St. Paul says, right, the law increases the trespass. So like, because I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think that they're, it's right. And on some level, uh, people sort of, it, it, it's easiest for people on one side of the political spectrum to denounce things that are rightly denounced, but then it, it's hard for people uh, to say they they did the wrong thing in the voting booth. I mean, I, I mean the numbers of like people that will say they don't regret their vote in the first year, and it's like for almost any candidate, but they're like in the high nineties. And so I think like how do we sort of how do how do we enter into conversations that actually would stem the tide of the normalizing in ways that are constructive and don't just sort of because I, I I tend to think what the problem with some of these conversations is it just sort of crystallizes the the it, or makes recalcitrant the people that made a choice that so many of whom who wasn't for you know the word alt right people or anything they, they, you know it, it was I think a kind of a dumb and irresponsible vote but but who are people who are generally have goodwill that can be mustered to stem the tide like how do we do that in a way that that and I and I thought you're the way you did it today was you know I mean you were impassioned but there was a sort of um, it wasn't over the top you know. Yeah, well, well, thanks. Okay, so it was last night. Uh, may have been a bottle of wine into it, and and I was a little, um, <laughs> I, I was really shaken. That's why you were mellow. <laughs> I mean, what, what Jeffrey, what Jeffrey is describing. I mean, I, I wasn't there. I've been in situations like that though, and and I, I was very much feeling that that sort of ache and pain, and knowing that um, you know friends were in that risk, and people were being killed, and people were punching one another. And, and for me, it, uh, I mean, it started to kind of clarify on a couple issues. Like the violence is one thing. But you could have, as the clergy did, and as 
thousands of protesters did. You could protest the very showing up of alt-right white nationalists, KKK Nazis, without there being any violence. Like Those are two separate incidents. One incident is, hey, we should speak out about this. The president of the United States should speak out about it. It's one of the roles of the president of the United States. Like There's a lot of people who should say things. People in certain positions of authority, people in religious positions of authority should say something about it. Even if there's no fighting, even if there was no violence, just the sheer violent act, the very um, assault, you know, in, in legal terms, there's assault and battery. Battery is when you physically harm someone. Assault is when you threaten and put someone at, in, in, um, in threat. So there was assault happening. This was, this was an assault going on. It turned into battery. Um, but there were two, there were two problems there. And I was trying to say for people to act as if, the alt-right community's brazen behavior in that is not from their vantage point solely, just the alt-right people and white supremacists saying, and they said it all day long, including David Duke yesterday, we are here to fulfill the promise of Donald Trump. And to say multiple times, we think this is the this is alt-right point 2.0, and we believe that that the country didn't know it was as ready for us as it showed itself to be in its vote. Right. That's their analysis. I think it's incumbent upon the people who were part of their concluding that to recognize that their vote contributed to those people drawing that conclusion, showing up in that park, someone being killed and all the assault and battery that went on. Now, you can say, well, that's not why I voted. But as it turns out, I'm just be lecturing for another 10 seconds here. Voting is not your personal voting on someone's Pinterest board. <laughs> Voting is a tool that you utilize for an outcome. You can express your own opinion about a whole lot of things in a whole lot of places. The voting booth, that's just not there. And so the idea that people would say, well, I know I, was, I voted for someone who was soft on white supremacists. I know that the guy was sort of dabbling in this world. I know that Steve Bannon was his guy. I know that he wouldn't denounce white supremacists. But Hillary. The president anyway, that's probably not so bad. Well, that all comes part and parcel. And, and I got a little bitchy on there about like, and if you, you know, and if you didn't vote for Hillary and you voted for somebody else and that got him elected, then I think you got to answer that question too. So that's just my own ballywick about the people who couldn't get over how much they just couldn't have Hillary. And we got this. Yeah, I got my own. Wait, Doug, I, I, Doug, I think, by the way, Doug, think. I think. Hold on, Scott. This is my podcast here. Uh, all right. Sorry. <laughs> I, just, I just want to say that Doug has a convert, I think, because Scaramucci was on ABC this week saying, I think you would have had needed to be much harsher with the moral authority of the presidency. So, Doug, hey! maybe, maybe the moot saw your video. It's like, oh, I got it. I'm turning it around. <laughs> No, I, I think, like, I agree with Doug that I think yesterday shows that birtherism is the original sin of the Trump movement. Wow. That that just, but yeah. at the same time, Trump's, Trump's such an exaggerated character, I think. Uh, he obscures how yesterday in the alt-right movement is not particular to the United States, but is a part of this global nationalist movement, yeah. um, you know, motivated by immigration and, and you know, shrinking middle class and white anxiety and, and all and i don't and that and that becomes a bigger question i think for the church it's, it's more it than is just yeah us. i mean yeah i think you're absolutely right i mean we got fire on friday night we got fury on saturday and wow. um i do think a couple of things one i'm wondering when you were talking about spiritual disciplines jeff i'm wondering is going to the batting cage just in case uh a spiritual discipline to get that that club swinging ability up a little bit too the next time you you're in a nazi crowd you know i mean i think you know it's an interesting thing um 
sometimes when I'm in these situations, and I haven't been anything quite like that, but I've spent a lot of time in urban communities and in some um, other world places, and I'm always tempted to listen to Bruce Coburn's If I Had a Rocket Launcher. That's, that's my mm. uh, Shadow Side song as well. And uh, maybe there are times for rocket launchers. But I still keep going back to something that both of you were just saying, and it reminded me, like, there'll be a, a friend of mine who most likely will listen to this, uh, a person who would sympathize with everything we have said. He um, has ended up being a pastor, part of, you know, the pastoral team in a large church, mega church, where probably 80% of the congregants voted for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still, to me, one of the things that I uh, ask myself and, and, and those of us who do these kind of things and try to influence other people, you know, what can we give him? Uh, because he is on that front line. I mean, it's his Part of his ministry is to help disciple those folks into a different way of thinking, or at least giving them an alternative approach to the gospel. And I'm, I'm again, how do we uh, encourage that those folks? Uh, what can we model, or what can we offer um, for ways to talk to people and and help people uh, who are trying to deal exactly what you you know, Doug, you said in in a in a polemic way about being they are responsible for this. But how do you help change hearts and minds in that way? I'm going to go ahead and just make a quick response is that, um, and I can't believe I'm saying this, theology helps here. <laughs> um, and, and There's nothing wrong with that, Jeff. That's a good thing. There's, um, <laughs> there's a strategic way. I'm thinking about Todd down in Oklahoma, and I'm thinking about my five years in the Paris and Jason up there in the belly of the beast and Tyr up there in the belly of the beast. You know, there, there could be a way in which you could bring in, a, not let's not call them outside agitators, but um, theologians are people who are able to bring something into your congregation that you as a minister could not because people would get defensive. Now, you do have the, the, the legitimacy of pastor. So if you've been in the hospital rooms with people and you've been su suffering alongside them, they might listen to you. But there might be an occasion in which you want to bring in some kind of person in your area or something to do a, something on America, colon, uh, Christian nation or right wing death cult. Uh, you know, you. <laughs> you know, That'd be a good opening <laughs> seminar right there to bring them in. <laughs> I especially in Kansas. It plays well in the Midwest. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I don't believe in Providence. Uh, I'm, I'm saying this for Bill's sake. I don't believe in Providence, even though I've been the recipient of so much of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm teaching a class in Christians and Nazis this fall hmm. um, at, Elon, at Elon University. The, where, where I work. They're just going to watch the History Channel every day. Um, yeah, they're going to wish they were just watching the History Channel every day. And and this morning about 5.30, I was talking to my wife and I said, I feel sorry for my students. <laughs> you know, I hope whatever it is that's rolling around inside of me, maybe it's adrenaline, will dissipate by that point. I can be a little dispassionate. I think that, that Bill, that question of um, moving the church is, is deep question for the church now. What are we going to be? And everybody's going to have to work that out in their, their own way. But I, you know, I can't help but think we're at a moment of clarity for the American church specifically. Hmm. You know, what are, and I was joking before, uh, and I wouldn't put it so bold, but there is something clarifying about which Jesus are you going to follow? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you know Jonathan Hate's work, Jeff. Um, yeah. 
a moral psychology because he talks about the problem with like in any sort of dialogue or debate like people generally talk in them in his study like to to validate that they're on the tribe or the team that they're representing rather than ways that are persuasive to the other person so like i think that's my question because i think a lot of times because some of this is not just the prophetic witness right but it's the art of grace persuasion right and how and how do you come alongside people and see that like and create a sense of solidarity so that that like people can reimagine because a lot of times it's it's imagination not information that will that will move people that probably don't see this as something that is 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 a problem that really needs energy and attention and commitment to address. But if your community's stuck, where do you go for that? Well, we send them to stream your class online, Christians and Nazis. We invite Jason Michelli to Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Todd does exactly what Jeffrey is suggesting. Yeah, and Jeff, I just want Jeff be careful humanizing your students. Don't feel sorry for them because then you start seeing them as real people. And have a, <laughs> I mean, that could be problematic in the classroom. Paying customers. Yeah. So, cheer. Uh, I, I think we're uh, nearing our stated goal of, of an hour. Did you want to wrap really up? really good on time, too. I'm, I'm quite impressed. Is this the time where we all get to do our plugs? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, if. <laughs> that was the laugh. That was the laugh track. <laughs> so, if anybody watching on Facebook Live or listening on Spreaker, if you have a question, pushback criticism comment now is the time for you to post those um and we will collect those but as that's happening i want to read a quote here from niebuhr um jason what book is this from you, you uh, just texted this over to me <laughs> it's from an american conscience which i don't we, read uh, books we were so. sent by <laughs> what's that we were sent this by erdman as part of the podcast actually i didn't get it Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Anyways, so here we go. And then we'll take uh, questions. I'm sure people will have lots of them for us. Um, if the white man were to expiate his sins committed against the darker races, few white men would have the right to live. They live partly because they are strong enough to maintain themselves against their enemies and partly because their enemies have not taken vengeance upon them. They survive, in other words, both by the law of nature and by the law of grace. Hmm. Damn good quote. I use it because I know how much Scott Jones likes to read quotations as part of his podcast. I do. That's really good of you to make our guests feel really at home. <laughs> He's a Methodist. They're nice people. <laughs> All right. So to finish up then, uh, Bill Bohr, 15 seconds, last word. Um, thank you, those of you who maintain faithful witness in Charlottesville. And uh, let's continue to do more and talk. Let's pray and stand with each other and reach out to those who we disagree with in the name of Christ. Todd Littleton, 15 seconds, last word. Uh, I want to say thanks for uh, the group that's gathered here. I've learned quite a bit from uh, everybody. And I think that as a pastor, um, my hope is always be listening to the ways in which uh, I can be more informed about my task. Thanks. Doug Padgett. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. When I was recounting and talking about some of this, I did it, we chose to do it with the kids in our space, in our in our gathering space, kids still in the room. And I saw terrified looks on their faces, right? Because a lot of parents had kept this from their kids yesterday. And um I just really wonder about that. Like it's mm -hmm. it's good for like us to talk about this, but I um uh I don't know. I it feels like if if you want a different world forty years from now, you don't start with fifty year olds. So yeah. um yeah. Uh, no prayer. No, no offense, Jeffrey. I'm 51. <laughs>
Speaking speaking of Jeffrey, Jeffrey, 15 seconds, last word. I think the church of the future is not going to look like the church of the past. Um, there are a lot of LGBTQ people out there on the line yesterday. Um, there are a lot of different marginalized people out on the line because they know what's at stake. Um, they don't have the luxury of ignoring this. Mm. Would you say that they are the way forward, Jeff? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, no, I would actually say Christ is the way forward. But but those but Christ calls um, an odd sort of uh, people, and um, I'm not I'm not sure. But that the institutional church as we know it uh, won't face a do or die moment here um, because the nuns and other people are they are looking for moral authority somewhere, and if we can't get it, they'll go somewhere else. If, we, if we're not manifesting that for them, they'll go somewhere else. And and a number of those people in that line yesterday, they'll never affiliate with a church. But by God, they were putting their bodies out there. Mm, that's good. Scott Jones, last word. Yeah, I just make it a persuasive word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just pray. And thank you, guys. Uh, I learned a lot today. And yeah, I just pray for grace and imagination uh, that we could see possibilities that um that <laughs> the things look a little bleak today so it's my prayer tear closes out so this is a i want to read a prayer that was written by kenneth tanner who's a listener of our podcast and many other podcasts and actually been on quite a few of them so this is from ken it was your delight father to create the one human nature we share in a multiplicity of races you taught us that all women and men share in the triune image you bestow on all persons Yet forces of division fueled by fear, pride, ignorance, and hatred have plagued our minds and hearts from that, from the moment we fell away from your divine community, waging war from within and without against the colorful diversity and loving oneness you intended for humanity. Founded on on created equality, our nation's actual history mars the beauty of our rich racial difference and denies the full dignity of the divine image in all of us. This chasm between our stated ideals and our brutish reality saddens, dismays, and angers us. Cause us to repent of participation in a culture that does violence to the wonderful tapestry of human faces, that tears, scorches, and rends the fabric of human unity. We are one human family under your trice, holy and ever enduring love, but our thoughts and actions portray allegiance to the lesser gods of bigotry, injury, apartheid, and racial supremacy. Help us renounce apathy and silence wherever there is tolerance for an unholy, limited vision of humanity. Give us courage to speak and act in defense of those most at risk of hostility and harm. Come by your spirit and shield all those experiencing injustice cruelty and savagery because of race come by your spirit and defend those who protect the oppressed who guard the dignity of your image in all humans bring swift justice to those who embrace threats terror and bloodshed who worship violence and death may these enemies of our common created goodness be visited by angels and converted to the cause of human flourishing revealed to us in your son jesus christ in whom there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither rich nor poor, and in whom we, together with all creation, hope for universal reconciliation with each other by and in you and your all Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
come.